0: All right, we started a series uh, last week called, called God in a Box, and we are looking at this idea that God explained himself for for a period of years uh, through a metaphor that, that said, this is what my presence is like. Um, you just pretend I'm in a box. Now, uh, if you know me, you know uh, I do a lot of things, and and... and for accuracy's sake. And I'm going to correct the record a little bit, just a minor correction. I knew that, that this was not exactly accurate. Now, we know that God didn't live in a box. Right? We kind of went through that and said last week, he told us, that he can't live in a dwelling made with hands. It's not possible to contain him. However, I want to even correct the record just a little bit before we, uh, more before we get into this message today. And so I want to turn to Exodus chapter uh, 25. Um, we set up a metaphor which is not exactly a good metaphor. It's not perfect, in other words. Not that any metaphor is perfect, but we're just going to correct the record and then continue on from there. Exodus chapter 25 and uh, verse 20, it says, The cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another, and the faces of the cherubim shall be towards the mercy seat. Uh, you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and the ark you shall put the testimony I will give you, and there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the Ark of the Testimony." So, just so you know, actually God didn't tell them he was in the box. God told them he was above the box. And just this picture that you see, not only is it weirdly colored on this screen as I transferred it from my computer to this one, but uh, it's not exactly accurate. Uh, so far as we understand, uh, there was a, a little lid between uh, on that thing, on the lid between those feet, and that was called the mercy seat, and, and uh, that's not there. Uh, that's where they picked that up and they could put their little treasures inside there. But also, the wings of these two things almost met. Like this, right? And, and the other angel was opposite him, and, and they met, and there was this little space. I don't know how big it was, but, but my imagination, I have an active imagination, that's what my mom always told me. And so, uh, my imagination is that, that, it was like, kind of like, a, you ever seen a welder's ark? You know, don't look at the ark. Well, don't look at the ark. Right? Don't look at that spot. This is where God is. And I've always just kind of imagined it like this bright spot right there where, where God spoke. And, and, and uh, that's kind of the, the image. Just don't look at it. right? And you come out and they couldn't look at his face because uh, he was bright. So Moses would uh, come out after talking with God and, and his face was really bright. And so um, so this is just a correction. Uh, it's, it, the point still remains that we're, we're working from this metaphor. Uh, that whether above the box or next to the box or in the box, the idea is that God connected His presence for a period of time with this box that they carried around with them. And we're looking at the various things that, that they learned about God's presence by this box. And we're, we're taking different events uh, in the Old Testament and, and looking at just one idea uh, in each event, uh, that was uh, something that they learned, something that became a foundational element of their relationship with God. So we're going to turn to the book of Joshua. Uh, we were in the bu- bu- um, uh, we were in Joshua last week, uh, and as they're getting uh, th- they're going through and, and getting ready for this conquest, we looked at uh, an idea. We're going to look at another one in Joshua chapter six. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 through 27. Now Jericho was securely shut because of the children of Israel. No one went in, no one out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king, the mighty men of valor. You will march around the city, all your men of war, and you will go around the city once. And then you will do this. For six days, seven priests will bear seven trumpets on ram's horns before the ark, and the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass, that when they make a long blast with the ramps horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight before him. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest said to him, Take the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed, march around the city. And let him who is armed advance in front of the Ark of the Lord. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced blew the trumpets in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came up after the, guard, uh, after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I tell you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city. He went around at once. They came to the camp and lodged in the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took the ark of the Lord, and seven priests Seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark went on continually and blowing with the trumpets. Armed men went in front of them. The rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. On the second day, they marched around the city and went back to the camp. They did that six days. But on the seventh day, they rose early about the dawn, marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day only, they marched seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priest... One more time. The priest blew the trumpets. That Joshua said to the people, "Shout for the Lord has given you the city. Blow! Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and all who are in it now only Rahab the harlot. She will live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. You by all means abstain from the accursed things, or else you will become accursed when you take the accursed things and." Make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But the silver and the gold and the vessels and the bronze and the iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come to the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when they heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with great shout and walls fell flat. The people went up into the city, every man right in front of them. And they took the city. They destroyed everything that was in the city, man, woman, young, old, ox, sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. And Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, go from there, bring the woman out, and all she has, just as you promised her. And the young men who had seen, uh, who had seen the spies went in, who had been spies, went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, so everything she had. They brought out everything, all the relatives, led them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels and the bronze and iron they put to the treasury of the house of the Lord. Joshua spared Rahab, her father's household, all she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because of the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua charged them that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. So he shall lay its foundations with the firstborn and with his youngest. Uh, he will set up the gates. And the, Lord, and the Lord was with Joshua and fame spread throughout the country. We're going to look at a couple of things here. I want to look at God's defense. He teaches some things about his defense here. Well, let's look at Jericho here a little bit as we look at God's defense. First thing I want to look at is that God's defense is unimaginable. And what I mean is that that when God does things, we think we can predict how and why and the way that God does things in. And God's defense is above our capability to imagine, Right? What is the standard human approach? This is Jericho that you're looking at uh, on the right. That's what it looks like right now. And on the left, that's what this uh, someone, they, they took radar. They go over and they, they have this cool thing that can, they can take radar and, and they can see foundations underneath. I think it's called LIDAR. Anyway, and they, they can see underneath ground. And, and so from that, they've built a 3D model uh, of what, It would look like they've excavated some of it, um, but actually quite a bit of it. Uh, But this is amazing. This is an impressive city. Now, if you were back then, what are you going to do? You're you're coming up to this immense city. Now, you've been traveling. It's not like you get to accumulate a whole lot of stuff. You've been traveling through a desert for 40 years. What are you going to, what do you have? How are you going to approach this? So, so man's standard way of, of, of approaching this would be an a all-out human assault. Well, that's going to pose a problem here. Uh, what are you just going to do? Throw yourself at the wall? This is Jericho is an interesting city. It is the first walled city in human history. There is no defense, there is no way to attack this because no one's imagined it before. right? You remember in, in, in 9-11, one of the things that they said, people, oh, what we should have done in retrospect is have all these things in places. This had never happened before. How do you prepare for something that's never happened before? That was new. Okay, now it's happened. We can prepare. How, how do you build... Uh, you know, another standard approach would be to, to lay a siege. Again, sieges haven't been invented yet because they haven't had to. The first siege engine in history is not going to be built for another 800 years. So that's going to be a little wait. <laughs> right? So, so, what are we going to do? There's a big city. It's got high walls. It's got a wall on top of a wall. They have, they have a, a foundation wall. And then then they built the wall on top of that. Now, this was not just the first walled city, but it was a double walled city. I mean, the, usually when you build things, right? There's, there's, there's like a prototype and then you advance it and you get it better. They were really super advanced on their first attempt. That usually doesn't happen. Your, you know, your best, your best is like your first. That that doesn't happen. Jericho was ahead of its time for, for a city. It was amazing for a city. Small. Some people call it a, a proto city. It wasn't really huge in terms of population, maybe. But if you're going in to attack something, you're just going to go and pick the next one. They just made it better. It's like, why mess with Jericho? Right? AI's behind it. or you know, Just let's go around and pick the other one. Because, you know, that, that's just ah, who wants to mess with that? A lot of times. So, so no one really had ever attempted this. And God said, no, we're going to start with the big one first. We're going to take that one out. So, as I say, it's unimaginable. So, God has to reimagine defense. Now, not like he has to adapt, he's already got the plan in there. He's like, you watch. But God reimagines defense, if we want to phrase it like that. He's going to do things just a little bit differently from from the way that you and I would do things. So, think about what they, even here, what, what does God prioritize? He prioritizes soft metals, gold, silver. It says bronze, but bronze is a hard metal. It's actually brass. Right? Um, it is a copper-based metal used for, for its polish. Right? Um, I was a kid in the 80s. So so remember brass beds that's not a thing now but, but brass was really popular back then 70s and 80s and you dented like mom's like we we'd play swords anything was a sword turned into a sword fight with my brother and I and, and you dent the brass like it's a soft metal right? it, it's it it's not they had weapons cuz we we find that there's a group of armed people that go in but they didn't have They didn't walk around the desert with a kiln, a huge kiln and an armory, you know, and and all the forges and everything like that. They didn't have this. They didn't have the ability to mine in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. So, So, whatever they had is whatever they took out of Egypt. They're not making new artifacts for war. And what God had told them to take out of Egypt primarily was soft metals gold, silver. Brass. Stuff that's going to be used for what? Articles of worship. That's God's priority. For the treasury, for for building my sanctuary and, and for my tabernacle and for all of the, the, the elements and the implements that go along with worship. That's what God is prioritizing. He's not prioritizing. Make sure you get the iron because we've got weapons to make and shields, and we're going to need some swords and some scimitars and a maze, like you know, chainmail. Where God's not imagining this, so He's imagining worship. So when He imagines their defense, He's got to reimagine it, and He imagines it by using an article of worship. The Ark of the Covenant. That's what he uses for defense. Now, we can tell that it was successful in history. Now we know this. We go throughout. We go throughout. If we if we look even later, right in First Samuel, uh, there's a there's this big fight between you know the Philistines or whatever, and and they go, oh no they they hear on the other side of the mountain or whatever the 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 Israelites are getting ready and they're like oh no the, the ark of the covenant's come into the camp we can tell because they're all shouting they're all oh no god's defense so so god's defense becomes a uh, it becomes infamous you know if you're the enemy of it it's notorious it's like oh no the ark of the covenant's coming we're in trouble and even still the God's defense, even in this chapter, is evident that this was... They said, no one goes in or out. The the Israelites are coming with their ark. Don't leave Jericho. It's all shut up. They're afraid. It's obvious. God uses an article of worship to defend his people. Why? Because they don't have the others. He's like, I'm reimagining how we do this. In First Corinthians chapter one is, he, he says, "You know God uses the weaker things, and God doesn't select the strong things he's talking about us, he's talking about people, and we, we get so up on our abilities and our, our, our i'm going to do this and, and I've, I've got this talent and, and God wants to use our talents. God wants to use what he, he's given us that that's, we don't want to uh, Insult that or put that down. But, but God says, really it's not about you. It's not about your hard metals. It's not about how, how powerful you are or all those things. God says, I use the weak things to show my abilities. So some of the best things we ever do for God are through our weaknesses, not through our strengths. That's amazing. God says, I can do that. God reimagines how he approaches the world through us. That's his method of defense. He is unimaginable. This is not the way you and I would ever set this up. If I was God. This is not how I would do it if I was God. That's why I'm not God. God does things in a so superior fashion. with the foolishness of God is wiser than man. I don't know how to do that. God says, let me reimagine it for you because I'm going to do it so much better than you can do it. It is a guarantee. Second thing about God's defense that He teaches them is a guarantee. This is an interesting statement in Joshua 6.2. He says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given... Jericho, into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. Now there's two really interesting things in this verse. I, I love this verse. Because it shows two ways that, that I'm, not, I'm, I'm not seeing, you know, as a human being. If I'm Joshua, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing this. I don't understand what you're saying. First of all, he says this in the past tense. I have given it into your hand. Joshua's looking at it. It still looks like it's there. <laughs> I don't see this past tense thing. No, no, look at it. It's already, I already get it. I'm looking at a city I've never seen before. I mean, I, as a spy I saw it, but you know, that was 40 years ago. And quite frankly, it looks better than it did then. And, and uh, the people don't look really that better than they did now. And we're still armed with the same stuff we had 40 years ago, and you're telling me it's given into our hands. That's the way I would look at it, and maybe that's why Joshua opens up and 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 over and over and over, he's called a mighty man of valor, and he says, "Be strong and courageous." Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, because Joshua's mindset's not there, and he's got to get there, (laughs) because he's got to be the backbone for however many people are sitting here waiting to take this land that God's already given them. It's a guarantee. So he speaks of it as though it's already happened. Now, with us, chronology is very important. When, when uh, if, if something hasn't happened yet, we still see it as a pending, right? It's pending. Maybe it will, and maybe it won't. You buy something online, All right, And then, like, I bought something online. I'm waiting for it to ship. I'm kind of nervous. Until I see a tracking number, I'm nervous, Right? Like it's still pending to me. It's like, have they taken my money? I want to see a shipping number. I'm bound by chronology. To God, chronology is a formality. It's like whatever. We were talking. Was it last week? I think we were talking about how how uh, here was at a camp and the, these kids have these questions about you know uh, well. How does God do this? And, and how does God do that? And, and all, these, all these different questions about God versus nature. And, and miracles. And, and walk, walking on water. And, and how are everybody going to see God at the same time? Right? Like, there's a sphere. Right? And the flat earth people in this world love that verse. How everybody's going to see God at the same time. Because that proves you know, that, that, that the earth is flat. Because everybody's going to see Him at the same time. Well. Nature is... We all see things that aren't there. Every one of us. Every time you look at a sunset, the sun's not there. It's already set. You think you see it. Because light bends. All God's got to do is change that. You ever, look, you ever see a fish? We went fishing at camp. And it looks like the fish is there, but it's not really. The fish is over here. because right? that, that, I'm seeing something where it's not because the light's bending. These are objects of nature. Like, how does God walk on water? He changes surface tension, that's all. He's, a master of, he's the master of whatever he made. He can change surface tension so that he walks on water. That's not hard. Like it's, it's just an element of, of physics for God. And time is just another element of physics. It's like, yeah, time, whatever, I can make it go backwards. I can make it stand still. And so for us, chronology presents this obstacle, and he says, No, I've already given it to your hand. I did that a long time ago, actually. What? It's still there. Yeah, that's a formality. But in this verse, he also, there's something else. He's, it's obvious. He says, See? He's like, No, I don't see. Yeah, see, I gave it to you. I don't see it. To God it's obvious. He's like, yes. Because he sees the walls. This is what Joshua sees. Walls still there. He doesn't see the people inside scared to death that they're there. And he shut up the walls. And the king's inside running, oh, the Israelites are here. Nobody leave. He doesn't see that. God sees it. The Ark of the Covenant's here. I'm here. They're afraid. I've already given it. It's already over. I want to look at some things, because I want to look at how we see things. We talk about seeing things by faith. How do we see things by faith? Well, if you have a good imagination, you can kind of envision it. But sometimes the way we see things by faith is to look at things in the past. Have you ever built your faith by looking at the past? I know that this happened before, so I'm really confident it will happen again. You know Jericho didn't exist uh, until people discovered it? Jericho was a city that, that critics of the Bible used to prove that the Bible was a myth. Oh, until the mid-1800s. Oh, oh the story of Jericho right? Jericho doesn't even exist, right? Well, until it was discovered. And then they start excavating it. And the stories of the, oh, the stories of Jericho. This chapter here, I mean, it's, it's archaeology. We see two walls. A double walled city. Mm-hmm. Oh, houses in the walls. What you're looking at is houses in the walls. Those, there's, a, there's an exterior, you see a road there and a truck going by and a wall and houses, individual houses and a little, a little row, a little sidewalk and, a, and it was between these buildings and there's another building and there's another wall. Just like God said. Oh, we're not done. They fell flat. What you are looking at is a collapsed wall right where it was. Boom. Fell flat. Not like you would see if, if, if there was a siege engine and, and someone assaulted a wall. It wouldn't fall flat. But this is fallen flat. And it's almost all the way completely around the city. That layer. Right there. Where it was. Right there. There's a lot of details. We don't even have time to go through all the details of Jericho. That item after item after item after item, exactly like this chapter presents it. Well, it didn't happen when he said, oh yes it did. These are all talismans. uh, And and there's a bunches of them that are Hatshepsut, Queen Hatshepsut and, and Tutmos and Amenhotep, all of the, the, that dynasty that was in power at the time of the Exodus, these are their talismans. It didn't happen way earlier or way later. This is what history preserves as their current history right at the time of Joshua. When we should see it. And this is the only standing portion of of the exterior wall. One section on the north side did not fall. Just like I think we should probably expect if God saved one family. One portion of one house that didn't fall. There's there's a little bit more. We're going to get to that. But, But you see, let this build your faith. To see things that that didn't exist until they were, until until the world saw them. That says, listen, when I say it, it's true. Just rely on me. It's true. For thousands of years, people accepted this story as fact without knowing the archaeology. They just trusted God. If you can't trust God in what he says is going to happen. Trust him in what he says has happened. Build your faith. I want to look at one more element of his presence that he teaches in this, and that is that God's defense is conditional. It's a guarantee and it's a condition at the same time, and that's not a contradiction. But in verse 14 and 15, This is kind of another representation 3D so that you can see it kind of mixed with what it looks like today. So the second day they marched around the city once and turned back to camp and they did for six days and we know this story, right? And the seventh day they go around seven days or seven times the whole city, the whole whole group of people around the city. Now, you can get out Google. Google Maps is awesome because you can chart a path and see how long it is. So... If they, you know, just kind of stayed away from the walls just a little bit, you know, to, to a couple hundred feet to pr- protect against projectiles, they'd be going a mile, maybe a little bit over a mile each day. That's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Maybe we walk a mile all the time. You don't even know you walk a mile. Seven miles carrying a big... Gold is not light. That's the other thing about soft metals is they tend to be heavier, right? They tend to be heavy. Gold, heavy. And so they're carrying a gold box seven times. That's seven miles carrying that thing. I don't know if they switched off or took coffee breaks or what they did. But, but that's a lot in the hot sun. And so God says, there's going to be some effort involved in this process. But it's going to require another Condition, and that is confidence. I'll get to this. And this is quiet, quiet. Six days quiet. You just go along. Let them insult you and everything else. Seven days. I'm going to blow a trumpet. And you're going to yell. What if you yell and nothing happens? Yell! <laughs> you got nothing else because you don't have remember God imagines this and they don't have a backup plan there's no backup plan you're going to look really stupid I am not a handraiser when I sing I don't begrudge it because it's in the Bible I visit lots of churches and so I've visited churches that are And there are different hand raisers. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's lots of them. And there are the air traffic controller. I call the air traffic controller. There's uh, village people. I saw one. I saw one um, recently at a church when when we were on our way up to camp. We stopped at a church on Sunday, and uh, I saw the Olympic diver. Like. I, okay, whatever. There's one There's one I see everywhere I go, and that's the T-Rex. <laughs> you ever see the T-Rex? T-Rex is I don't really have quite the confidence. I want to, but I, I can't quite get it up. There, all the way. T-Rex. Not quite confident. I, I wonder how many T-Rexes there were as they march around, yell, they're like, hey. I, 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 want to, I want to, but I don't quite have the confidence to yell. All right, joking aside, isn't singing the easiest thing we do? Singing is the easiest thing we do in Christianity. And just—I've been in different churches. I've, there's all different kinds, but it's like there's always, you know. There is power, power, wonder working. And it's like it's like T-Rex. It's the easiest thing to do. Where's the confidence? There is power in the blood. why, Why is that hard to say, unless we're not confident that it's real? Is it hard? We're asked to do so many more difficult things. Why is singing hard? I don't understand that one. We have a confidence problem, is what it is. There's one other element. So keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction. Also, when you've devoted them, and you take the devoted things, you will make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. All silver, gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, they will go to the treasury. We know the story. Didn't quite happen, came close, but what you're looking at is vessels upon vessels found in archaeology of full things of grain burnt and not taken. Someone took one. (laughs) Kind of paid the price for that. But we see it like it shouldn't be. This would never happen, especially for... Okay, so, so there's sacrifice, right? Why is this considered sacrifice? You have a group of people that just came out of... Egypt, or they've wandered, not Egypt, out of, out of Sinai Peninsula, wandering in a desert. And God said, I'm cutting off your manna. I don't know how long it was between then and now, but, but to, to come in and to say, you know, here's cows and cattle and his, his steaks for the first time in 40 years. I guess it's not yet. It's here. It's right here. Got this next city. This is mine. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is required. It is a condition of God's defense. It's an interesting word. Appraise. One day maybe I'll study the etymology or something. Appraise. To, to evaluate something. And I just want to close with a with a, a little challenge. To take stock of of God's presence. Your and your life in God's presence. To to appraise where things are. <clears throat> Ask yourself what you consider his defense worth. If I sang for my supper, what kind of supper would I be getting? Right? Let me take stock of, of my confidence in God. To, to take stock of my sacrifice. The, the level that I'm willing to give. And what, that, what God can do with that. Just one, one example We had some ladies that that sacrificed this week a lot of effort. Two in particular. Kay Rushka and and Winetta, were exhausted. I know they were exhausted. Yesterday, God took... um, Stuff that was sitting around people's houses and collecting dust. (laughs) And turned it into $900. What God does with sacrifice. $900 to to help fund something that we're going to decide to do with our kids to to teach them evangelism next year. That's the starter fund. That's what sacrifice does. Evaluate, reevaluate, reappraise your relationship with God. Where's my confidence level? Where's my sacrifice? Where's my effort? and look what God can do with that and what God has done with that throughout time and let that build your faith in Him for the future. Please stand. We are the promises God of-